Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. Well, happy Mother's Day. I'm thankful for our partnership with Young Lives and their ministry uh, to young moms. Glad to be remembering them on this day, uh, Mother's Day. And also, if you missed last week, something else to celebrate is Freedom Sunday coming up on July 4th. We're going to be doing outdoor baptisms on the day that we remember freedom as a country. People are going to step forth and declare their freedom in Christ. And I'm Really pumped to announce. We already have a couple of signups so we can celebrate that. That is awesome. And all of these things happen because you give generously to the ministry of Eastern Hill. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Now on Mother's Day, it can be bittersweet because this is a day where I celebrate my wife um, because she's a fantastic mom. But it's also a day where I grieve a little bit. You know, my mom passed away some time now, but my kids never got to, to meet their, their grandmother. And this is a day where I remember her and, and that loss in my life. And if you're a mom that uh, has lost a child, this could be hard for you. Or maybe your mom's passed away too. And so if I'm describing you on this day, I want you to know that we worship a God of comfort. He is our high priest and he empathizes with our pain. So I just pray that, you know, King Jesus would be with you and this day and that he would be your comfort and the strength uh, for those that are maybe having a harder day. And so I pray that for you on this day. Now, a quick survey. Uh, have you honored, honored your mom? You know, for those of you, your, your mom's still around. Have you, have you reached out and said, happy Mother's Day? Just by show of hands in the chat. You know, have you done it? Okay, great, good. If you haven't, make sure you text your mom right now and say, Happy Mother's Day. And, and I want to honor moms today with a gift. We're kicking off a, a two-part series. It's called The Power of Parenting. And so today's part one. And then on Father's Day, you get the second half of this message. So dads get the same gift. Uh, and we'll do it in that way. So today's part one. And then next month on Father's Day, we'll do part two. But if you're a mom or parent uh, with a growth mindset, you're going to enjoy today. It'll be a gift. Uh, if you're the type of, of mom that's say, I'm committed to the best of my, my kiddo and helping them grow. And, and know God and, and experience his love and, and do whatever I can to, to equip them uh, to be set up for success in life, then, then you're going to enjoy today. Now, if you're the mom or you're the parent that says, you know what, I've got it. I, I think I'm great. And, you know, if you go to Hallmark, you're going to see a picture of me on a plaque that just says picture perfect parent. Uh, I got nothing for you today, <laughs> but I, I bet you there's not a lot of moms out there that said they've, they've all got it figured out, but there might be some today tuning in uh, online and you're not a mom and you're not in a season of parenting. Hear me, today's going to be great because you'll get to hear about some things and you might walk away saying, you know what? That's why I'm so messed up. <laughs> Listen, I, I put myself in that camp, but like I said, today's going to be great. Just, just tune in for the next, you know, 30 minutes uh, as we kick off this new series. Now, I want you to know that, that I, uh, it's a disclaimer, you know, I'm not a parenting expert. I'm not, but I am qualified because I have been parented and I am parenting. And I was also a student pastor for six years. So today really is a culmination of the parenting that I've seen, parenting that I've experienced and parenting that I've tried. And after all of that, here's what I have discovered. There is no secret sauce to parenting. 
Are you a Pinterest person? Do you like, you know, do you have the app on your phone or, or maybe you go to the website? Pinterest is great for a lot of things. One of the things that my wife uses Pinterest for is copycat recipes. So maybe you've gone on to Pinterest before and you've looked for a copycat recipe for some of your favorites. You're looking for the secret sauce. How do I duplicate this? You know, my family, we're big in and out fans, West Coast burger chain. How do we duplicate the sauce? Now we're in central New York. So it's all about the Riggies, the Riggy sauce. I'm, I'm taking recommendations of places that we can go and purchase the Riggy sauce. I'm kind of a critic now. There's some I like, some that I don't. Uh, you know, so you do the Pinterest thing. If you can't buy it, you try to duplicate it. How do you discover the secret sauce? And for some of us, when it comes to parenting, we're looking for the secret sauce. How do I duplicate? You're a fantastic parent. Your kids turned out great. What did you do? You, know, you read books, you, li- you read blogs, you listen to podcasts. When it comes to parenting, it's an incredible opportunity with infinite options. <laughs> you see, when you're in the early years, when they're young, you know, you're thinking about diets. Okay, I got to watch out for food allergies. Do they need to be gluten-free, dairy-free, flavor-free? I'm kidding. You know, but it's hard to figure out, you know, what can my kid eat and what can't my kid eat? Then you go into, you know, potty training. You know, pretty sure that uh, if you've got boys at home, you don't call it potty training. It's, it's target training. And if you've got young, young women in training, when it comes to the potty training sort of thing, it's not potty training. It's hostage negotiation, okay? Who knew that going to the bathroom could be so emotional? <laughs> and then, of course, I forgot about sleep training. You know, sleep training. There, there's some of the tactics that came out of Guantanamo Bay. It's controversial that I mention this, but none, nonetheless, some of the tactics that came out of Guantanamo Bay clearly were developed by observing newborns, right? Sleep deprived their parents. <laughs> Have you been there before? It's like, oh, just go to sleep already. And then you get into the teen years or maybe preteen years, and you're confronted with with everything wonderful about yourself and horribly wrong about yourself because when they get to this stage, preteen, teen years, they're an extension of you. And you find yourself going back in time saying, gosh, was I, was I this way with my own parents? They are guardians. They deserve a medal. How did they do this? Young adult years, you know, they leave home, they go away to school or maybe they get a place of their own and, and you find yourself checking your phone. You know, days go by, you haven't heard from your kiddo. Uh, you start to lose your mind a little bit. Are they safe? Are they okay? You know, Will they come home engaged? Will they come home at all? Will they come home pregnant? Uh, Adult years, okay? It's the circle of life. Remember Lion King? You know, Mufasa and Simba, you know? Kids start having kids of their own. You're still parenting them, you know, what they should do or not do. And then maybe, you know, later in life, you're parenting your parents because you're taking care of them a little bit. But after all of this, we could all agree that regardless of the stage, there's no secret sauce when it comes to parenting. This is true. I've got three kids. What one works for one kid won't work for the other kid. You know, what one what works for one set of parents might not work for you. But today, I do have something to offer in the form of wisdom. And this is wisdom that I think we can all agree on. And it's not even wisdom, you know, solely for parenting. I think this is wisdom that we can glean in regardless of what season or stage of life we're in. And it's that we need to start with the end in mind. Wisdom we can all agree on is to start with the end in mind. So check out this awesome bicycle here. Actually, it's seen better days. This is uh, now Clover. She's about to turn six. She's our middle kiddo. Our oldest got a bike last year for birthday. And so as it goes with the younger kiddos, they get the hand-me-downs. And so this seat needs some love, but it, but it does, it gets the job done. You know, it's just, it's just part of growing up. But 
Clover, believe it or not, I had to put the, the training wheels on to take it up uh, on stage today for this purpose, this illustration. But she's starting to ride her bike without training wheels. Uh, it's pretty awesome. I'm proud of her. But, you know, the, the, the process of, of riding a bike is a lot like parenting. So, you know, in the end, when you start training your kid on how to ride a bike, you know that at some point the end destination is that they ride their bike on their own. And that while they're doing it, they're safe. They're going to choose their path and you set the boundaries of where they can go and, and can't go. But in the early stages, you put training wheels on. You know that one day, I mean, the plan is for them to come off and you know one day you're going to be behind them. They might fall off a couple times and you're going to put them back on. You're going to guide them, teach them balance, this, how to break, you know, all those things. And, and there's going to be tears. There's going to be frustrations. You know, some people get on the bike and they figure it out right away. Some people take it longer. There's a lot that's outside of our control that we can't control. But what we can control is what we teach. And what we can control is how they experience that process and what they experience once they choose the path that they choose. You see, training our kiddos to ride a bike is a lot like parenting. We have the opportunity to impact how they experience whatever path they choose in life. So today I can't offer you a secret sauce when it comes to parenting, but I can offer you four questions that every child asks. And these are four questions that will shape the future of your child. Number one, who's in charge? Two, is this real? Three, what happens if? And four, who loves me. And honestly, these are questions that we never stop asking. So, you know, even if you're not an parent in this season, I think you're going to resonate with what I have to say today. But let me pray before I dive into these questions. Father, you are good. Uh, you are our dad. You are our heavenly father. And so we learn so much from the way that you parent us and the way that you love us unconditionally, how you're always there for us constantly, that you've given us your word to, to experience the best possible life with you and others. And Father, your word also tells us that, that parenting and, and being a father, being a mom, uh, is such a gift. And for those of us that have that blessing, uh, help us to not take it for granted. Uh, we pray today that you would speak to us wisdom and consideration that you would free us from any guilt or shame or the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, people that are, that are in a hard season with their kids, that that would not get in the way with what your word has to say, that you have something for us today. So help, us, uh, help me to be clear and help our ears and eyes to be open to what you have to say today. And we pray these things uh, through the power of your son, Christ Jesus' name, amen. So uh, years ago, uh, Moses, and, and you, you know, even if you didn't grow up in church, you're probably a little bit familiar with Moses. Uh, he was the one that led uh, the Israelites out of captivity. And he's speaking to a group of Israelites that didn't experience some of the, the glorious moments that come with uh, the story of Moses. And so this group that he's speaking to, they weren't there on the day that he, you know, God used him and parted the Red Sea. You know, the Egyptians are coming down and they're, they're trying to, with the Pharaoh, to take out the Israelites and God parts the Red Sea, leads them through the wilderness. This group of, of, of God worshipers, they weren't there the day that God communicated to Moses with the law on Mount Sinai. Uh, and so this is a, a, the next generation of God worshipers that are about to go into this, this land that God had promised uh, years ago through Abraham. And this place that they're about to go to has all kinds of uh, dangers and temptations. And so Moses uh, is tasked with giving some simple instructions to this group. And as he gives these instructions, it's almost as if <laughs> he has 
has these four questions in mind. And one of the people and groups in his audience are parents. In fact, you can pick that up as I read now from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's one of the early books in the Old Testament. I'm going to start in verse 6. Moses says, These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk to them about when you sit, uh, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. <laughs> Tie them on as symbols, your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your households and on your gates. In other words, <laughs> guys, this is important. You need to listen to what I have to say. You know, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I mean, these are familiar names that they would have been uh, connected to. He says, this is a land that is, that is large, flourishing cities that you, flourishing with cities that you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. You know, wells you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. You do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You see, this is true. Most of us find it easier to handle adversity than prosperity because when you experience adversity, it's easy to cry out for help and ask for wisdom or, or cry out to God and pray, God, help me in this situation. This is hard. This is difficult. P send people into my lives. How do I get through this? But when things are going well and you're experiencing prosperity, you're less inclined to reach out for help. And so Moses knows this. They're coming out of a season where they were crying out and they're going to go into a season of prosperity. And the temptation is to forget about God, the God that they worship, the God that provided the prosperity, the source of the prosperity. And Moses knows this. And so he's helping them not to forget the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Bible, the one true God. And so here's what's going on. The promised land is going to be a destination filled with large, prosperous cities that they did not you know, build, that they're just there for them. Houses filled with wealth that they did not earn. Uh, wells. And in the east, water was a precious uh, commodity. And so the fact that they didn't even have to dig the wells was significant. You know, they didn't have to plant the vineyards. The olive groves were already producing. And then the promised land itself was a gift. And so what Moses does is he starts with the end in mind and says, despite all of that, I want you to know who's in charge. I want you to know that this land, this land does not belong to you. That God is the master, and you are the tenants. Now, if you're an 80s kid, you might remember the show, uh, Who's the Boss? You know, a popular television show, and my kids love the show Boss Baby. You know, it's a movie as well. It just seems that humanity's always wrestled with this question. And this is the question that Moses is answering when he says, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. No one other's name, in his name. Okay, so the inheritance in the land was God's gift to his people, but they also know that if they disobeyed the covenant, the agreement, the contract, that it would for forfeit the land and some of the blessings that came with the land. And so Moses' desire is to not see that happen, and he wants them to remember, listen, God's in charge. He's over all of this. Don't forget him. And so that's the end in mind, that he's in charge. If you ask my kid, <laughs> You know, who's in charge? Any one of my daughters are going to say, mom's in charge. But these are some steps 
that we can take as parents to help this be the destination, that we raise up a generation that says, yeah, God's in charge. He's in control. We want to teach authority and model submission. Okay. Authority and submission. <laughs> That's one of those things that, you know, at a dinner table can get people fired up. Now, in a conversation over faith, if you're, you know, having a conversation with people, those that maybe don't subscribe, subscribe to the same belief system as you, uh, they might say something along the lines of, you know, freedom in God seems like an oxymoron because religion just seems about a bunch of rules and regulations, you know, the do's and the don'ts. But what Moses taught, he taught about authority, that God's in charge, but he modeled submission in this process that the more that he gave over to his life, gave over his life to God, the more freedom that he experienced. But when he tried to do things on his own, there were consequences and life became more difficult. You see, how our kids experience parental authority or any authority in our life has a direct correlation to how they will grow up and experience governing authorities and the authorities that enforce those laws. How we teach authority and model submission in our kids' lives ultimately will shape their intimacy with God and whether they see him as an authority. And, and in the end, it'll probably shape how much authority they're entrusted with in life. You see, think about this. In, in, in the education system that many of our kiddos grow up in, there's teachers and, and, and principals and vice principals. There's an authority structure. Structure. And government, you know, we went through an election. Kids are learning about presidents and vice presidents and, and law enforcement and their role. And, and they know mom and dad have uh, bosses and, and employees and their supervisors or CEOs and, and marriage and who's in charge, mom or dad. And it's mom all the time, right? No, it's mom and dad. You know, parenthood uh, and, and, and what comes with that. I mean, marriage, parent, and discipleship, all of this is an authority conversation. All of this is a, a mutual, it's a submission, you know, conversation. And authority and submission will make or break every one of these key areas of our life. And when we talk about discipleship, discipleship is a, an umbrella of everything we do to help people find and follow Jesus. So services on Sunday, groups, classes, serving in the community, mentorship, one-on-one, all of that is discipleship. And all of that is a conversation around authority and submission. So you know, when someone tells you what to do, the issue is never uh, what, but always who, right? This is what you want you to do, or what I want you to do, but the other person on the other end is saying, who is this person? Are they for me? Do they care for me? Uh, are they a healthy authority in my life? Do they have authority in my life? And so we know that when it comes to, you know, breaking rules or having no rules, that that really doesn't lead to freedom. That leads to, to anarchy. And so we know that with authority, authority can be good, especially healthy authority. And so as parents, we want to model submission, submitting to healthy authority in our life. And Jesus said that we should know the truth and that the truth will set us free. And God is truth. His word is truth. And that's the authority that we submit to in our life. And when we do this, we experience meaningful and lasting freedom. So here's the second question. Is this real? Now, <laughs> Rose was young. I mean, she, she's not sentences at this point, you know, a couple of key words, sleeping in a crib, doing the sleep training thing. And one night she wakes up and she's just, ah, she's like shaking. And we're thinking, what is happening? Does it hurt? You know, where's the pain? Like doing the parent check. And she's the firstborn, right? And so you're, you're constantly worried. Am I going to break this kid? What did we do wrong? Did she eat something? I don't know. And we're like flipping out. And, 
and so time goes by, you know, we're, we're calling, you know, trying to figure out all these things. And, and finally, we make out that she's talking about a bee. And as time, we discover she had a dream that she was stung by the bee inside her crib. And she was convinced that the dream was real. So she wanted nothing to do with that crib. I mean, she just would have a panic attack. And she didn't want to fall back asleep. She was so scared. So now, you know, it's just sleep deprivation for days. Mom and dad are in a bad place. You see, I tell you the story because when we're convinced that something is real and it's not, it can be so damaging. And Moses knew this as he wrote the Israelites. He said, do not follow other gods, the gods of, of the peoples around you. Because if you're convinced that it those gods are real it's, it, and they're, they're not. It's, it's going to be damaging to you. And this is a constant temptation we see in the Old Testament and New Testament to worship other gods, you know, to see good things as ultimate things, idol worship. This is a temptation for humanity constantly. This just doesn't go away. And so Moses writes with the end in mind. He wants God's people to know that he's real. That we don't define who God is and who God isn't. That he's the great I am. He's not a way. There's one way. He's the way. He's not the product of abstract thinking. He's a God of absolutes. And so to get here as parents, what we can do is we can teach absolutes and model sanctification. This is so much different than some of the mindset that's out there when it comes to parenting and faith. Some people subscribe to an approach that says faith is caught and not taught. That if we, you know, we are church folk and we love Jesus and we love other people well and our kids are just going to catch it. That they're going to see that, you know, this, the love of Jesus shapes our convictions and how we care for people. And so, yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're modeling and they're going to catch it. They're going to catch the faith. And this is good, but it's, it's one half of the equation. In fact, faith is both caught and taught. Because what, what happens when your kids comes to you, when your kid or kiddos come to you with these type of questions? Do science and God contradict one another? You, you can't just love your way through this question. I mean, they want answers. They want facts. They want evidence. You know, can, I, can all religions point to the same truth? There's, I got friends that are of this faith, not of faith. I mean, does it all work out in the end? You can't just simply, you know, model your way through this. I mean, they, you got to have a conversation. You got to point to the scriptures. You got to talk through that. Uh, how do we know that the Bible we have today hasn't been corrupted in the copying process over hundreds of years? And then, of course, the big, the big one that eventually they're going to answer or ask and want an answer to is how can a good God permit so much evil and suffering? And you can't just simply, you know, well, being a good person and caring for people well, that, that's not going to help them wrestle with this. You know, they want answers to these big questions. And so growing our kids towards Jesus is a matter of them both catching, you know, what, what we have placed into our lives and also teaching. It's teaching what is true and real. And so as we start with the end in mind, we want to teach absolutes and we want to model sanctification. As a youth pastor, uh, I saw this and as, you know, as a pastor, I've seen families experience this. Numerous kids that grow up in great Christian homes with parents that really model and live out their faith. You know, they love and care for their community well and they serve in the church and they're generous, all of these things. But their kids abandon their faith. Why is that? Well, here's, here's the gap that I see is that kids admire the sincerity of their parents' faith. 
but they don't catch the faith because they don't believe that it's built on good reason because there's many other ways out there. Okay, mom and dad, you're a good person, um, but so is my other friend who's a Muslim or, or a Buddhist uh, or an atheist. And so, listen, this works for you, but I'm, I'm gonna do my thing. And so what we miss in our child, uh, child development years and in our teen years and young adult years is a conversation around biblical faith and that it's trusting in what we have good reason to believe is true. Uh, biblical faith is based on evidence that God has given us. It's not wishful thinking, blindful thinking. It's not optimism or, you know, I just hope that everything works out okay. No, that there's evidence that we believe in, that there's fact, historical fact, and truth that we follow after. And so right now, there's a lot of conversations happening. And if you're a student, you know this. And if you have students, you know this. And so before, the old absolute was purity. I mean, if you think, go back, you know, 80 years ago in this country, I mean, purity was something that was honored. You know, it was respected. Uh, but the new absolute in today's conversation is promiscuity. I mean, it's just try, try things out, you know. Um, whatever works for you, pick it, you know. Uh, the old absolute is humility. You know, humility was a, a value. You know, humble yourself. Uh, we, we, we celebrated people that were humble. Now the new absolute is pride. I mean, it's the social media. Look at me. Look how amazing I am and worshiping celebrities and, and athletes. Uh, the old absolute is truth. Truth mattered. Being honest mattered. Telling the truth mattered. But the new absolute is is power, you know? It's okay to avoid truth if it results in power. Uh, the old absolute is love. And the new absolute is tolerance. And so here's the pendulum swing. If you love me, then you will approve of everything that I do. And if you disapprove of what I do, then you don't really love me. And then it gets worse because more than you don't love me, you hate me, you're against me, you're not for me. This is the conversation. Uh, the old absolute is religious freedom. You know, that's foundations of, uh, in this country, in, in the West, you know, people being able to exercise, uh, exercise their freedom to worship the God that they believe in. But the new absolute is sexual supremacy. And so if this religious freedom gets in the way of this, then this wins out. And these are conversations that our students are having. These are the conversations that our children are going to grow up having. And we need to be teaching the scriptures as well as modeling the scriptures. Because let's be clear. If you have intellectual understanding of the Old Testament and New Testament, and maybe you can give a great apologetical response to all of the questions that I shared, but if what's in the pages of the Old Testament and New Testament does not impact the way that you love your spouse, if the, if the Bible that you read does not impact the way that you love your children, if what you're learning about on Sundays and in groups and classes doesn't change the way that you love your neighbor or love your community, your employees or your boss or that person at the checkout counter, your kids will, your kids will catch that too. They won't miss that. So here's the third question. What happens if? What happens if? If, <laughs> when I was in second grade, my stepdad had a workshop and I was told, do not go in uh, Tim's workshop. It's my stepdad. So as an as a eight or nine year old, what did I want to do? I wanted to go in the workshop. So I watched him where he put the little key and I took it and I opened up and I went in the workshop. What's the big deal? Nothing crazy in here. Play with the tools. Found this awesome pad to lay down. Was super comfortable. Locked up the workshop. Like, oh, he's never going to know I'm in here. I could be in here again. That 
shortly thereafter, my skin was on fire. I'm itching like crazy and I'm going, going to my mom. Ah, what is wrong with you? I don't know. Everything itches. What did you do? I went in Tim's workshop. Okay, and what, what, what'd you do in there? Well, I laid in that yellow stuff. The insulation? Yes. <laughs> so that, I learned a lesson after laying in, you know, wall insulation and dry, you know, just burn my skin burning. <laughs> the, the power that or the, the consequences that come with testing boundaries. Now, Moses is talking to a group of people that that once tested boundaries and it didn't work out for them so well. And so he's reminding the next generation of exactly that. He says, do not put the Lord your God to test as you did at Massa. And that word Massa literally means to test. So this was a place, a, a symbolic representation in a figurative sense and a literal sense, uh, a sense of, of the time where God's people tested him. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and the decrees he has given you. So Israel defied the Lord and proved that they neither loved him nor that they trust him. I mean, their bodies were there in the camp of Israel, you know, following, you know, Moses. But at the same time, their hearts were really in Egypt. You know, wow, that's where they longed to be, the good old days. And if God was not gracious and patient and long-suffering, he could have just judged them severely in that moment. But what we learn about God throughout the whole process of, of the Exodus is that he knows that his people are like clay. He's constantly molding and, and shaping them. And so what Moses is doing in this communication, starting with the end in mind, I want you to know I want you to remember what happened in Massa and that God's way is best. I want to tell you the story of what happened that day because what God's people need to remember is that God's way is best. One of the, the best you know, parenting tips that I've you know, received is, is through um, a pastor and an author that I like to listen to and he talked about gospel-based parenting and our approach to parenting needs to be a, a balance of, of God's law and God's grace. Because he said, you know, God's law teaches us what God's values are and what God expects. It also tells us the consequences of what happens when we break the law. But, but the law also can't save us because we know that God's standard is righteousness and perfection and that we always fall short. And so then what the law does is it makes us poor in spirit because we're convicted that, that we're not good people and we're convinced that we need a savior, that we can't save ourselves. And so what the law does is it equips us to receive the gospel message that without grace, we're hopeless. And so the next step here is we want to teach accountability. There's consequences with breaking the law. We want to model saving grace because grace is getting better than what you deserve. You know, we get what Christ deserves. That's the message of the gospel in the New Testament. He suffered so that we uh, shouldn't suffer. Uh, we won't have to suffer, you know, from an eternal perspective. And that he loves us and he's for us. I heard a story this week from a, from a leader and I won't mention his name because, you know, he's made some choices that are controversial or whatnot, but I think this story still carries merit. And he was talking about teen, parenting a teen, his teenager. And him and his wife had, had tried so many things and nothing was working and they had taken away everything to the point, there's, there's nothing else the, to take away. And they're beside themselves. And he had to go away and speak at a conference 
And at, you know, before he leaves, he, he says to his son, listen, if, if you would just gift your mom with an easy weekend, I know you want a phone. When I come back on Sunday, I'll get you the phone. And so the kid's like, oh, of course. A couple of days, no problem, dad. You're going to be buying me a phone. So first night, uh, calls his bride. Hey, honey, how's it going? Come home now. I'm going to kill this kid. <laughs> We've all been there before, you know, at our wits end with an individual. And that's where, that's where she was at. And so now, you know, this leader is just broken. Oh, you know, pray, God, <laughs> help me. I, I don't know what to do. And so he comes home and he sits his son down and says, we've tried everything. We've constantly taken it all away. And so this is all, this is all left I can do to try. This is all, this, this, uh, just get in the car. It's, what do you mean get in the car? Just get in the car. And it's like that conversation, like mafia, like get in the car. You know, it's like, this is going to be the last moment, you know, is what's dad going to do to me? So well, where are we going, dad? We're going to the phone store. Why, why are we going to the phone store? I thought you said that, you know, if I didn't help mom out, I wasn't getting a phone. You're right, but get in the car. So they're in the car and they're driving and he says, I've tried everything, but I, but I haven't tried this. I'm going to get you that phone and it's better than what you deserve. You know, what you deserve is the opposite. But I want you to know that we worship a God that gives us better than what we deserve. That his love is not conditional upon our ability to do what he says. That he loves us despite what we do. And I'm for you, son. And I, I really wish you were making different choices. And I want that for you because I, I care for you. But in this case, you're going to get better than what you deserve. And it broke a son. He was in tears, you know, weeping, crying, apologizing. And it was a catalyst. And he saw it in his dad and he saw it in God and the power of grace. You see, from a parenting perspective, if all we are focused on is the law, this is what you did and what you didn't do. And these are the consequences. And our kids never experience saving grace and that you know, we get better than we deserve as parents, then they're going to miss the gospel because the gospel is the law and grace, which ties into the fourth question. Who loves me? And so Moses reminds God's people of God's plan, that he wasn't just gifting them this amazing gift from the promised land for no reason at all. Like, all right, you did your time. Now here's the promised land. No, there was a bigger plan and his plan was driven by love. Here's what he said. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. See, all, you know, do this so that you can experience all of who God is and all that he wants you to have, and all that he's going to provide for you. But know that this is a result of a promise that he made to Abraham, and that this promise is even bigger than they are. It's bigger than Moses. It's bigger than the Israelites. You see, how the story plays out is that through this entering into the promised land, this was the next step in God's redemption plan. Eventually, all the Old Testament points to the arrival of the Messiah, the Savior, and that with the arrival of the Savior is Jesus and a resurrected God that we worship. D disciples called out to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit pens these words through these men that we now call the Bible, the pages of the Old Testament. And we have this great, great resource to shape us, mold us, and transform us. And all of it points to one thing. 
the end in mind, which is God's love for us. That's, that's what Moses wants his people to understand, that God loves me. That, this is, that he doesn't have to do this, but that he's choosing to do this because he wants what's best for us, that God loves me. And so to get here as parents, we commit to teaching adoration and modeling sacrifice. Can I just tell you, this has been kicking my butt all week. I mean, I, I just stopped and I thought about this and I thought, God loves us despite what we do. That the message of the gospel, he doesn't look down on the world and say, oh, okay, I, I guess they need me. I'll step in and help. It's like, no, these people are helpless and they're living in rebellion and they're doing whatever they want to do. And yet I'm so compelled to help them to send my son to die on a cross for them so that they can get this figured out so that they can know me and experience true freedom. That's love. You see, culture right now, the conversation, you know, I said this earlier, it's, hey, if you love me, then you will approve of everything that I do. And then it goes from, and if you don't approve of what I do, it's not only that you just don't love me, you hate me, you're against me. But the gospel is, no, I love you, even though I don't agree with what you're doing and what you're doing hurts me, causes me pain and it's a big deal and so much so that my son had to die to, to set you free from this decision that you make that's hurting me and hurting others um, I still love you you don't have to earn my love I, I'm going to give it to you I'm going to serve you Jesus showed up and he served murderers served thieves and adulterers despite what they did he loved them to the point of giving up his own life for them, for you and for me you see, uh, when we talk about serving, serving is the act of putting other people's needs in front of your own. And that's the biblical definition of love. To love someone is to say, you come before me. It's this sacrificial love. Jesus gave up his life for the sake of humanity. You know, so much of my childhood would have been different if I was convinced that I didn't have to earn my parents' love the insecurity, the guilt, you know, the shame. Parents, the words I love you are so powerful and freeing. And it's even more freeing when your child knows that they don't have to earn your love. You see, we can disapprove of our child's actions and they can know that, that we still love them. This will change their life. And even more so when they know that the God that created them loves them and that they don't have to earn that love. When they discover this, it will change them for eternity. And that's what we're invited to step into. That's the gift that God gives us as parents, is that we get to shape their answer to these questions. Who's in charge? Is this real? Well, what happens if? And who loves me? And we start with the end in mind. You see, we can't choose. If we go back to the, the bike, I, I can't. I mean, Clover, she's going to choose whatever path she wants to. She get on the bike. I'm setting boundaries. Here's this stop. Here's time. You can't go that way. Look both ways when you turn. You know, make sure you wear your helmet, okay? Make sure you wear your shoes. Not your flip-flops with the bicycle, okay? You got to balance. Pedal. Here's how you brake. Here's your brake. And so you can teach. You can teach. You can teach. But she's going to choose. And those days when she falls off the bike, how mom and dad pick her up and put her on to say, you got this. We love you. Even when you get it wrong, we love you. Okay, you went too far. You weren't supposed to go down that way. There's a consequence now, but we love you. We want to help you do this. We want to help you uh, enjoy riding a bike. This is something you look forward to. And you look back at our role in this and say, wow, 
I'm so grateful for my mom and dad and how they've shaped me. And as we send them off and we tell them, who's in charge? Yeah, God's in charge. He's over your life. He's got you. He's got you. Is this real? God's real. He's there. It's, it's not wishful thinking. It's based on truth. And he's got answers for your hard questions. Well, what happens if, you know, God is the best way. He's for you. And if you trust him, you're going to experience immense freedom. And who loves you? God loves you. Even more than mom and dad, he loves you. Today, I want to end by inviting Kristen Cuthbert, our, our engagement director, to speak into motherhood as a mom herself. Uh, I want you to hear from her now. Being a mom has affected every bit of me. I now have three children, but when our first, crew, came on the scene almost seven years ago, I was rocked. I always wanted to be a mom, but that transition from zero to one child was the hardest for me. And when I look back, it's clear that it was hard because of fear. It wasn't necessarily the lack of freedom or the sleepless nights that I struggled with. I was simply terrified all the time. I wear contact lenses, so at night I usually have my glasses on. My husband used to make fun of me because during the first several months of motherhood, I would put crew to sleep in his bed, wearily climb back into my own bed and take my glasses off and lie them on the covers. I'd lie down and maybe make it 10 seconds before I was blindly fumbling around for my glasses just so I could lunge at the video monitor to make sure he was still breathing. This went on for a good six months before I was able to settle down. Then we had Chloe, and many of you know her story. Chloe had something called high drops, and there was a window of time when we weren't sure if she would make it. Her transition into our family was both brutal and beautiful, and I've never felt such a presence of God in my entire being. We were scared, yes, but we were so prayerful, and so were very many other people. His providence and hand in Chloe's life was and is undeniable. Lastly, we welcomed Tripp. He is now two years old, and aside from a small emergency surgery at 15 weeks, he has been a total breeze. We've had our bumps in the road for sure, but where I find that motherhood has changed me most is in the day-to-day. -day. It's the small conversations just before we part ways for the day, or the quiet moments at bedtime where I need God's presence the most. It's so easy to let the difficulty of the day, the tantrums, the laundry, the full-time job, the exhaustion, get in the way of such a special assignment. I understand that not everyone experiences being a biological mother, and that can be incredibly painful. But today, my hope is that we all, mothers, fathers, grandparents, teachers, coaches, whatever role you have in a child's life, that we all remember that God is for us. The odds are in our favor, the outcome is rigged, and He is working for our good. When we remember this wholeheartedly, it leaks out over all those that we influence. It gives us the ability to see the world from a posture of hope and humility. And we are better able to answer these questions. Who is in charge? God is. Is this real? You better believe it. What happens if dot, dot, dot? It doesn't matter. It's all for your good and his glory. And maybe the most important question of all, who loves me? God does. God does, and because I know that God loves me, I can love you even better because it's no longer about me, my fears, my insecurities or comfort, it's about him. Let's pray. God, thank you for the privilege of motherhood. We thank you for the ups and the downs. We thank you for your grace to get through it all. We ask for your presence today and in the year ahead. Give us an awesome day together with our families. Thank you for your grace, in your name, amen. 
Thanks so much for joining us today. Let's sing one more song together. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the ministry of Eastern Hills, click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care. God bless.